Welcome to Max Volume, where we deliver loud takes at soothing decibels. I am your host, Maxwell Lewis St. Louis, and this is episode 50, 5-0, half a century mark. We did it. Woo! So for those new listeners out there, Max Volume is a podcast that worships at the altar of pop culture, a place where the silly and inane are of the utmost importance. It's a pod where we discuss heavy topics like, is Mike Judge the most underrated comedic voice of the last 30 years? Lingering replicant theories from Blade Runner and analyzing why Michael Douglas probably walked around butt naked in Basic Instinct. Uh, I can still see his butt. It haunts my dreams. So no quote too minor, no side plot too small. This is a pod for the TV geeks and movie freaks. So welcome all weary travelers. Your boredom ends here. So before we delve into the topic at hand, let's start with five minutes of Seinfeld-level daily observations. So this is my first ever pre-noon recorded podcast. Woo, hello mornings, nice to meet you, finally. So it feels equal parts rewarding and groggy. Like, is this how normal people exist? I mean, I guess my tiredness gets tricked away by brewing coffee. You know, that siren smell of that, you know, those robust beans. And, you know, I rub the little crusties out of my eyes and I toddler walk to the bathroom and brush my teethies so I can get ready for the day. And, you know, it made me feel like I was a real kind of, you know, businessman and I was going to go to like a quarterly uh, consultant meeting because I've always wanted to throw on a suit and kind of randomly barge into some important office and just act like I belong there. Shout things like, Johnson, I need the De- Deloitte file on my desk and I need it there yesterday. Or pick up a random phone and scream, sell the European pharmaceutical ETFs so we can upload orange juice futures. Now, what are you waiting for? So now that I said out loud, uh, it sounds like I want to be a 1960s newspaper editor, so that's good to know. I mean, who doesn't want to wear suspenders and smoke cigars midday and scream, where's the art for the Metro piece? We have five minutes. Deadline, Mikulski, move. I mean, that sounds fun. It's like the Jameson from the Spider-Man movies and comic books. You know I mean? Just, I want pictures of Spider-Man and I need him yesterday. That, that just sounds like fun. It's fun to dream about jobs about, of a long forgotten era, just like simplified newspaper men. That just seems like a fun thing to do. I think if I was... If I was growing up in the 50s and 60s, I would have been a, tried, tried to have been a newspaper man. But, you know, dying media, sad stuff. But that would be a good idea for a pod, actually. Just an entire cast doing the kind of rustling and hubbub of an old-timey newspaper, showing the nuts and bolts and pitter-patter conversation of those who shaped the world back then. You know what I mean? Just like, kind of like a Citizen Kane, kind of like, oh, I got the news for you. Yeah. Mm. Like that kind of, you know, that pitter-patter voice. It's like, I want the moon. It's like, you want the moon with parsley. You know, I mean, that's a... That's a quote from the movie that actually I just watched last week. It was, it was my family movie for the week. It was called Gentleman's Agreement. It was with Gregory Peck. It's a classic forward 1940s black and white magazine reporter who searches for a story about anti-Semitism in the Big Apple. And it was just this weighted blanket of cinematic perfection. Just Mr. Peck has that movie star air to him that transcends time and space. He just exists to be on that screen fighting for the rights of all humanity while looking like a farmer's market peach, just looking good in a, fitted, in a fitted suit, you know, a nice gray fitted suit or black. I mean, it's, it's black and white. It could have been a colored suit. He could, he could have been wearing pink neon for all I know. But knowing Mr. Peck and the sensibilities of the time, I'm guessing not. But uh, one day I want to, I mean, and all this talk got me thinking. I was like, one day I want to throw kind of a Gatsby style dinner party with theatrics, flair, and just pretty much the most charming guests you could possibly conjure. So then I remembered, you know, I don't need to wait. This microphone is a magic cauldron, and I can summon whoever I wish with a few auditory creations. So why not create the ultimate movie couple dinner party for funsies? Because that's what this pod is about. It's about the what-if shower questions you have. You know what I mean? Just 
if you're fantasizing about being in a movie, let's let's make it happen. Let's tell a story because all life is just storytelling. So this is exactly what we're going to do. So the rules were simple for, for me. Any romantic couples are allowed. I thought it'd be more challenging to make everyone a couple since you have to think about how they play off one another, what stories they might tell, and how the group as a whole might meld as we laugh over kind of caviar and champagne. You know what I mean? You want... You want them to have, you don't want one strong personality because it's, it's really easy when you can just pick one person, but you want to see how the, the dynamics are as a couple. And it was interesting doing research on this. Uh, the classic rom-com couples were shockingly kind of boring and one-sided in how interesting they were. Like think about most couples in those kind of movies. They tend to be achingly lovesick, pining for lost love. And it's entertaining to watch these characters bemoan their situations and fight for true love, you know, in the in the eyes of, you know, unscrutable odds and all. But I don't know, it just, it, the fact that they're just so lovesick, it just sucks the fun right out of them. It makes them sing, singularly driven. They're just emotions of desire, want, need, and it pushes other character traits to the side. It makes them very dull dinner guests. I mean, think Sleepless in Seattle, My Best Friend's Wedding, The Wedding Singer, The Holiday, The Notebook, The Proposal, Hitch. Even uh, Princess Bride, Buttercup was kind of, I don't know, she, she seemed kind of lame. I mean, Wesley was awesome, but I mean, when you're just sick in love, it's hard to be anything else. So everyone kind of ends up being these one-note couples whose only definitional emotion is the magnetic connection they have for one another and that they're fighting for. You ever been out with a couple that's way too in love? I mean, they're like feeding each other, they're baby talking, they're pecking, peck kissing each other every two seconds. It's cringeworthy. And it makes everyone else uncomfortable. And generally, it feels like they're overacting because they're terrified by the fact that they have nothing in common when they dial down the affection. So that's not, that's not fun. So this made me go more of a kind of unconventional route. So bear with me because it's not, it's not your typical, you know, I'm not doing Harry and Sally. I'm not doing, hmm, who else is classic? I'm not, I'm, not doing your, I'm not doing the classic picks you would think from like romantic movies of the last 50 years. So let's dive in. First was easy. I went Carrie Bradshaw and Mr. Big from Sex and the City, the movie, also the show. So this show was my guilty pleasure. I worshipped it in my adolescence because it was smart, it was raunchy, it was glamorous, and it looked at successful, swanky New York women looking for love and not being afraid of talking about sex. And I mean, it was pretty groundbreaking at the time. And Carrie Bradshaw had this unbelievable kind of variety of interests and passions that would make for stimulating conversation. She was a New York City newspaper columnist who also wrote in Vogue and had a world-renowned best-selling book. So, I mean, I love, I love the whole written word of it all, and it seems like she, she knew her stuff. So also she's a fashion icon in the New York socialite scene, so she would know all the chic spots you know what I mean? Like where, where she go. This is going to take place in New York, by the way, I decided. Carrie's going to pick the restaurant. Because, I mean, I mean, she, I mean, I think part of the appeal of the show was, you know, where was the new swanky place to eat? And this is how much I trust her. When I took a group of friends to New York City, I think it was 2011, uh, for a birthday celebration, we booked a table. I booked it six months in advance at Brasserie Eight and a Half because she had gone there in the show and it just looked ridiculous. So, and it was, it, just, it super paid off. It was super fun. And, you know, I definitely felt part of the, you know, New York upper influencer culture. That's fun. So if you ever go to Brasserie Eight and a Half, get the Duck Two Ways or the Mushroom Encrusted Lamb Loin. They're both to die for. And her counterpart is Mr. Big, who is this, I think we, I think we find out his 
first name in the last episode of the season. I think his name's John, but I'm not sure if it's John Big or if she just called him Mr. Big because he's just this big presence in her life. But he's this old New York relic kind of molded, molded in that timeless Gregory Peck, Paul Newman, Rock Hudson kind of package. He's tall. He's strapping. He's got this booming, deep voice, very disarming smile. Uh, he's played by Chris North, who's also a Law & Order cop, too. Just really a classic actor. I mean, he definitely he feels like he was time-warped here from the 50s. And he's, got, he's wearing these classic fitted suits. And he looks like someone who's high up on the corporate ladder of finance, but you aren't particularly sure of his position. You know, he's got his private driver. You know, he's, uh, he seems like a man about town. He's suave. And there's this kind of aloof magnetism about him. So this is how cool he was in the show because Carrie could really never figure him out for a long time because he rarely kind of divulged anything about himself except that he was just cool <laughs> and he just kind of went with the flow. So he, in his giant, you know, Manhattan man- mansion, he got a, the wall behind his bed painted bright red. And he's like, yeah, you know, some of the de- one, one of the designers said it was a bold choice. So I just did it. What do you think? And she's like, I can't tell. And it was just always a statement piece and he never seemed to be bothered by it. So I painted my bathroom in my uh, home when I was in high school, that same color red because he was that cool, that much fun. And even though I wanted to be him. So now I get to have dinner with him. How cool is that? And I mean, I think, I think as a couple too, they're just vibrant and one of them can hold serve on a conversation and lead the discussion or give the other one a snide comment or two without the other one tail spinning. They seem like strong, independent people. You know what I mean? It's not like one of them's going to crumble. They can make fun of each other. One of them can tell a story and one of them can chime in. They have a good back and forth. You know what I mean? I like couples that can tell a story and kind of seamlessly finish each other's sentences. Rarely. Not like they're trying to do it. Like, oh, isn't that cute? No, it's like it just happens organically once in a while. Plus, very important, Mr. Big can foot the bill. So I won't feel guilty about, you know, caviar, lobster tails, black trouble shavings, 98 Dom Perignon, you know, uh, wines from the 1980s or something like that. I'm not a big wine guy. That's my friend, John. He, he knows wines. What, what fancy wines would I get at a dinner like this? I mean, it, the dinner is going to run in the five figures. So Mr. Big's got it on his American Express, Express black card. He's got this. Next, I went Dominic Toretto and Letty Ortiz. And they're from the Fast and Furious franchise. So here I'm nailing down the criminal element of the group. Because who doesn't want to hear about high-speed car chases, international intrigue, and bank heists across the globe? I mean, by the time they're in the sixth, seventh movie, they're driving like million-dollar cars out of a, the top floor of a skyscraper into another skyscraper. They're launching tanks from planes. I mean, they're doing everything. I want to hear all about that. So... I mean, Vin Diesel, too, has this melodious, melodious kind of baritone voice. And Michelle Rodriguez has this fiery attitude. So I feel like they'd both be honest, engaging, and pull no punches. You know, they would, they would be chastising each other, and it'd be fun, fun to hear. Then hearing them discuss uh, supercars and 70s classic vehicles would be a, a real treat, too. Because I always love hearing passionate people talk about something they're an expert in. And these guys know cars. My God. And they can drive them like no one's business. Maybe I'll get a few driving tips. You know, I'll know how to learn how to Tokyo drift. Is that how you say it? Or just, is it just drift and they were in Tokyo? I don't, I don't know. But, uh, you know, maybe I'd learn how to use a manual transmission because I don't know how to do that, embarrassingly. Uh, I'm, such, I'm, I'm such an embarrassment as a, as a 1960s manly man. Don Draper would just, you know, shake his head at me. But <laughs> this is 2020. What are you going to do? <laughs> so also in terms of criminals, because I thought about a lot of criminal groups from the films that they're in, 
they seem to only hurt those who hurt them first or generally villainous kind of people. So I'm not worrying about them beating me senseless and taking my wallet. They're not, you know, chaotic evil. They have a reason usually. So if we're at a dinner party, they're not going to just turn on me and beat me at, you know, within an, within an inch of my life. Cause Letty could kill me too. I mean, Letty, Letty, I mean, Michelle Rodriguez who plays her, that is one intense young woman. My God. They, I mean, so like I said, they're not going to do that because they have this kind of honor among thieves kind of vibe to them. It's imprinted on their souls. So I think we're in the clear. Plus I want to see uh, Vin Diesel, like, have a toast, put up a Corona bottle and call us me familia. I think that'd be fun. You know, we get the movie vibes. So they're my second pick. Third, I went Neo and Trinity from the Matrix trilogy. So any boxing fan knows Styles makes fights. You got Hagler Hearns, Ali Frazier. You can't have at a dinner party, 10 alphas fighting for conversational dominance for three straight hours. It'd be ridiculous. You know I mean? You would get exhausting. There would be, I don't know, there would be animosity, just stepping on each other's toes. Just, it's not fun. You know what I mean? You need, you need a variety. You need a trail mix of people. You know what I mean? You can't just be all chocolate chips. You're going to get sick. So you need the soft-spoken kind of philosophical couple there too. They're going to pepper in Buddhist warrior poet mantras, quote Nietzsche, maybe discuss uh, Aristotle and Plato. And they're going to give the dinner a spiritual resonance. Maybe they'll like, you know, burn some incense and, you know, pray to our ancestors or something. That'd be cool too. So why not have these two soft-spoken computer geniuses who can also bend time and space? I mean, Neo can do some killer party tricks. He can bend spoons with his mind. Trinity can float while doing roundhouse kicks in the air. Neo can actually fly. So that's pretty cool. And uh, he can, t- I, don't, I, don't, I definitely want to say the line he goes, I know Kung Fu. I mean, that'll be fun. That's Keanu Reeves. Come on. I mean, that'll be good stuff. And who doesn't love kind of a good crackpot conspiracy theory? So learning about how we are all pawns in a robotically controlled future, and this is all just made up, this dinner, uh, them telling that between courses, that would spark quite the conversation between the group. I think it'd be fun. And the best part is Neo and Trinity add this too cool for school, leather clad kind of look to them, you know, floor length, duster coats, one of one unique sunglasses that they probably don't even take off at the table. I mean, how that's how cool they are. That's how freaking cool they are. Plus, if anyone decides to shoot us, I got Neo and his bending, uh, bending reality savior magic to stop the bullets cleaning their tracks. So I see wins all around. Plus, I mean, I mean it's Keanu Reeves. I got to look at Keanu Reeves too. I'm, I might just call him Johnny Utah for a little bit, just just a little bit. Fourth, I went Stanley Ipkiss and Tina Carlisle from The Mask. Uh, easy pick. I mean, these are all really easy picks, actually. This happened, this kind of came together really nicely. It's kind of funny. It's like, my dad asked me sometimes, like, how do you come up with these weird, you know, scenarios and all? And it's like, they've been rattling around my head for, I don't know, 20 years. So it's like, when I finally put them to paper, I already have the answers pretty much all set because I'm, I've had this imaginary dinner party, you know, a couple times in my head. It's gone fabulously. You know, it's really, it's really a success with this group. So really easy pick. So I'm getting 1994 in his comedic prime, Jim Carrey, in an ancient green, neon green mask that turns him into a yellow zoot suit wearing magical imp who just wants to crack jokes, he wants to dance, and he wants to blow cash on monetary pleasures. Just sign me up. Sign me up all day. I mean, he can conjure up a band. He comes with his own sound effects and special effects. Anything can come out of his pockets. He can you know, put a, a giant grandfather clock out there if it's going to be part of a joke. He can give an uh, impromptu Oscar speech with actual fans coming out of their seats while he gets a random award from someone. 
mean, this is the best version of Jim Carrey you could ever ask for. Ace Ventura is a little too annoying and a little too on. This guy, I mean, this guy's on too, but uh, he's got the magic. I mean, you know what I mean? Like when you're, you're dealing in magic, you give him a little bit more leeway. And you have my first crush ever. You got 1994 Cameron Diaz as an extremely talented lounge singer who wears Sinatra-style era cocktail dresses and can light up a room with her smile. I mean, 1994, I think, I mean, my heart stopped when I first saw this movie. And if you don't think Cameron Diaz in this movie is gorgeous, you need to get your eyes checked, people. All right? So great absurdist couple. Everyone's going to be enthralled. It's like, And so finally, rounding out the group, I have Beatrice Kiddo, a.k.a. The Bride, and Bill from the Kill Bill Tarantino double feature. So I'm sure you got a lot of questions on this. Are they man- maniacal sociopaths who want each other dead? Yes. <laughs> are they the deadliest people on earth with a sword in their hands? Probably. Will they be ha- will they have swords in their hands? Definitely. Could they kill us for no pop- particular reason? It's like you betcha. But life is about risk and reward. There's no gale, there's no glory. You know what I mean? If I didn't if I put these podcasts just in a folder here and didn't share it with the world, I'm not going to be able to, you know, connect with people and enjoy, you know, kind of connecting my nerddom to other people. So you got to put risk out there. And these two strapping individuals are masters of the monologue. So every dinner party needs master storyteller or two. So I'm risking death and dismemberment, hoping that they will just keep from slicing and dicing and, you know, they'll keep the death to a minimum just so they can give give me those icy, intelligent rants about comic book heroes and ancient Asian fables about samurais and honor. So... This is, a, this is a high risk maneuver, but I mean, to have someone read Tarantino dialogue, like that's actually how they talk. Oh my God. I mean, I might tell everyone to just shut up and I just record them and I just want to hang out with them. Just these profound statements that have something to do with pop culture, life, death, you know, mortality, meaning of life. Might be worth it to, I mean, if I died at that table, you know, listening to David Carradine tell me about, you know, the way that the world is while uh, Uma Thurman uh, kind of you know, retorts and gives another argument. Oh my God, I could die happy. So also fun fact, uh, Uma Thurman would definitely wear that killer yellow Bruce Lee jumpsuit. And Bill has a very kind of disarming, enjoyable laugh too. So I think that, I think they'd be, they'd behave themselves. I think we'd be okay. I mean, if not, who cares? I got Neo at the table. He can stop him. And you know, uh, Stanley Ipkiss too. I mean, the mask, Jim Carrey can stop him too. with something funny. He'd probably turn their swords into like slices of bologna or something, and I just laugh at them. I mean, that, that, it can work. You know I mean? This is, a good, this is a good group. And lastly, these aren't couples, but these are my final spicy additions to the party, since it's my party, and I can pick who I want to. And I can audible anytime I want to. So I'm going Mike Wazowski and Sully from Monsters, Inc. So they're brightly colored monsters. You know, they're Pixar, Pixar CGI. I have, I have them tattooed on my shin, so that's an excellent icebreaker. And I want to play with Sully's soft teal and purple fur. Mike is voiced by Billy Crystal, and he has stand-up jokes for days. I could definitely listen to that. And watching Sully squeeze into a chair would be hilarious. And we would be the envy of all the other guests. They'd be like, oh, man, they got the Monsters, Inc. Pixar dudes? Like, how'd they get that? I didn't even know they existed. Yeah, we'd be the envy of everyone. And if they're not available, I'd go Bert and Ernie, too, from Sesame Street, because they're wholesome, they're hilarious, they would remind a table of a simpler time when PG felt puppets could bring joys to millions. So th- those are my picks. So this is really fun. This was a delight. And now if you'll excuse me, I have to get my tux from the cleaners and shine my cufflinks because I have guests waiting. Later. <laughs>